Today is December 5th, 2020, and welcome to the 19th episode of Below Zero, a podcast about Buffalo from Buffalo. I'm Adam, and I'm going to bring you the latest Buffalo happenings, including politics, music, and everything else in Western New York life. So I know it's been a couple days since uh, the last episode, and uh, it's a rather quiet week, I guess, in terms of, uh, of news, but going to see what's been happening in the last few days, at least. Um, so this is uh, actually from last weekend. There's a new train station in downtown Buffalo. I'm not sure many people even know we have train stations in Buffalo. I actually used it one time uh, in my younger adult years. Took a train from Rochester to Buffalo. Um, Amtrak uses it. And uh, it's, it's, I think, something we should be doing a lot more of, putting more money into our our transportation like that. But uh, yes, so uh, there was a station down on Exchange Street and they've replaced it with a new one. Uh, So this is a story. The newly opened $28 million station is getting high marks from travelers and even those who just stopped by to take a look. It's opening on November 8th came three years after a contentious process that ended with the new station built on the site of the one it replaced, despite wide support for putting it at the central terminal on Buffalo's east side. Now, for those that don't know the Buffalo Terminal, it's this beautiful old train station uh, over on the east side. It, it went out of use back in the 1970s and has slowly deteriorated over the years since then. It's currently being operated and trying by a, by a nonprofit group that is trying to revive it and revitalize the building and the grounds. Uh, but the amount of money necessary is just uh, an ungodly amount to, to bring that back. They have done some great work and, and they used to have uh, Dingus Day and uh, other, other holidays in the Halloween party inside the terminal, but um, they haven't done it recently. And that was before COVID, of course. Uh, So the Exchange Street station closed in 2016 after a partial ceiling collapse, setting off the push for a new train station. At the time, Buffalo had been the only major city in upstate without a new or significantly renovated train station in the previous 20 years. Now, that's just embarrassing. Um, And talking about how we should be putting money into things like that, but our station was literally falling apart. So it's a good thing that they have a new station, but it still seems like they're kind of forced it. Uh, so Taylor, uh, Lynn Taylor, said that she was disappointed that the station isn't bigger. She also questions the location because trains can't head west without backing up and turning around due to the proximity to Lake Erie, something that Amtrak won't allow. Instead, passengers heading west have to depart from the Depew station. So it seems like they didn't think this very, th- you know, think this through very well when they were putting the same, using the same location for the new station. If the, the station had significant limitations, Feels like they should have thought about that and tried something different. Uh, After Governor Andrew M. Cuomo uh, announced in 2016 that state funding would be available to build a new train station, a panel formed by Mayor Byron Brown chose the same downtown location to be near Canal Side and Metro Rail. So this is the mayor stepping in and basically putting together a group of people that would do what he wanted them to do. The Central Terminal was the preferred location based on written and public comments while another design close to the present location also had support. So basically everybody in the community uh, was sounding off and sending in their, their, their letters and comments saying, no, don't put it back in the same place. We would like to have it in somewhere else. And of course, nobody listens to the people. And now we have a, a station where you can only go in one direction on the train. So very disappointing. Um, it, like I said, I'm glad they have a new station because 
there hasn't been one there since 2016. Uh, that's really, really bad. And it hadn't been updated in a very, very long time. So at least that's done, but uh, it just goes to show how the mayor pretty much runs everything in Buffalo. Everything goes through his office. Uh, and this is also uh, now from this weekend, um, hospitalizations nearly back to April levels as deaths climb. So definitely uh, not, not good news around COVID here in Western New York and Buffalo these days. Uh, so Erie County recorded its highest total number of confirmed cases of COVID-19 since the beginning of the pandemic with 771 new cases on Wednesday. Hospitalizations are nearly back to their levels in April and May with 78% of hospital beds in the county occupied. Deaths are spiking too. So this is what you don't want to see. You don't want to see the, uh, the vacancy in the hospitals so, so bad. Um, you know, that's what happened in New York City when the virus first hit there. They were putting people in tents outside the hospital because all the beds were full. Um, so very, very worrying statistics there. Uh, quote, we are starting to see what would be considered the Thanksgiving spike, Erie County Executive Mark Polonkars said Friday in a video news conference. Now, that makes no sense. Anybody who's been following along has seen uh, you know, Mark Polonkars tweets a graph out every single day showing the statistics of of cases and deaths and everything here, uh, both in the county and in the Western New York region, we have been spiking since the, the first week of November. There's absolutely nothing to say that we're seeing a, a Thanksgiving spike. Uh, it's just been raising all along. So I'm not sure where he's getting this from. Um, it, it seems like they're almost looking for reasons to blame people for, for the, the continued spread. So the day before Thanksgiving, the region held its collective breath over worries that Governor Andrew Cuomo was about to declare at least part of Erie County a red zone, which would force non-essential businesses to close and ban all gatherings of people outside a household. Yet as of Friday, the state hasn't pulled the trigger. Buffalo and most of its suburbs remain classified as an orange zone with schools, gyms, and personal care facilities shut down and indoor dining banned. The rest of Erie County and part of Niagara County remain in the more precautionary yellow zone. Um, and there is already starting to be movement on the schools. They've changed the requirements for schools to reopen. Uh, they've lowered the testing requirements and some schools have already started on that path, but it's, just, it's not uniform. Uh, the, the state is not providing testing. And so these schools are left to their own devices to do it. And so you have some schools that are, I heard that there was one where uh, one of the parents is a doctor who did all the tests. They tested all the students for free, whereas other, other schools just don't have that capability. And so if this is not uniform, you're going to have some schools that are going to reopen and some not, even though they might want to. It's just a mess. It's an absolute mess. And so this is from uh, Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul. She says, yes, red is an option, but we really want to give Western New York the chance to turn this around, she said. And that's just putting all the responsibility on the people where it, we don't have control over this. The people do not have the control. Sure, yeah, we can put masks on and, and whatnot, but even masks are not 100% certain to, to stop it in certain conditions. And so if you're, and then at the same time, we are seeing nationwide that our elected officials are telling us one thing and doing another. All the uh, you know, Governor Newsom and London Breed out in Mayor San Francisco who are being caught on film going to private restaurants and breaking their own rules. It's ridiculous. So you can't be so hard on everyday Joes and Janes and whatever and everything 
when, when even the people who are running the show are not following their own rules. It's ridiculous. They're telling us that this is something that we have to do, and then they don't do it themselves. Now, so a shutdown akin to what the state endured this spring during the state's pause on non-essential would have very, very serious consequences for our economy, she said. And yes, it would. Uh, so, you know, what are we going to do about it? Uh, the economy is not more important than people's lives. I would say that. So um, this is obviously this has been a failure since the very beginning. Um, when, we, when we first shut down, we saw the rates drop precipitously over you know a few weeks. Uh, that's why people had to stay home. We had to get it under control. And then they paid people to stay home for a little while and it was going great. And then they stopped because they they put profit over people. And that's this is the result. So statewide numbers have been rising and are expected to continue to increase during the holiday season. So even in this own article, uh, they have, they're saying that uh, there's no such thing as the Thanksgiving spike. It's been spiking all along. Uh, so the overall state positive rate has been over 2.5% since November 11th, a run of 22 days. It has been above 3% for seven straight days, above 3.5% for five days, and above 4% for the last three days. And that's just statewide. Uh, here in Western New York, We've been hovering around seven. We I think we hit nine or nine or so or ten percent one time. Uh, it's it's not going well, and our elected officials have pretty much passed all responsibility. Cuomo will not take responsibility for the schools. He will not take responsibility for the people that are dying uh, in our in our nursing homes, and it's just it's it's a mess. Um, so when all this the buck keeps being passed, it has to stop somewhere, and they're just putting it on the people, and we can't we can't have that. Uh, so now some political stuff. Um, this is just funny to me. Uh, so this is, uh, from today's paper, Collins, not on Trump's list of likely pardons. And talking about rep, former rep, Chris Collins, who represented the 27th district in the house of representatives. So as the Trump administration winds down, despite the president's cries to the contrary, there are increasing signs that he will deliver parting gifts to some of his closest allies and maybe even his family members' presidential pardons. Now, as an aside, I want to say that this is so funny on its face, just without any uh, extra information or context. If you are thinking about pardoning somebody, you are implicitly acknowledging that they've broken a law. So it's so funny that he's like, I got to pardon my kids. That's basically saying your kids have broken a law. Uh, but one big name remains missing from all the discussion over whom Trump might exonerate, that of the first member of Congress to endorse the outsider Republican candidate back in 2016, then Rep. Chris Collins. Despite rampant speculation about a Chris Collins pardon in Buffalo, his name wasn't even surfaced among Washington's chattering classes about who Trump might pardon and when. Now, the reason this is so funny is because, like it says, Chris Collins was the first congressional representative of any kind to endorse Trump in the primary. This guy put his career out there uh, and, and was nothing but servient, subservient to, to, to Trump the entire time. And then Trump is just going to turn around and just turn his back on him and just let him, let him rot in prison. I think it's hilarious because yeah, it, this, this is, you know, uh, just desserts for an awful person. Uh, so then there's the question, what's in it for Trump? So why would Trump pardon is what they say. So several experts on presidential pardons noted that Trump's pardons so far have gone largely to far-right celebrities like former Arizona Sheriff Joe Arpaio and those caught in the vortex of various Trump administration scandals, such as former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn and political consultant Roger Stone. 
So Trump is only using his pardons for the worst of the worst, which is great because Collins somehow doesn't even qualify for that. So yeah, this guy, this guy is in prison and he was hoping to get the okay from Trump. An article also mentions that because Georgia is currently in the Senate runoff and there's a lot of allegations against both Kelly Leffler and David Perdue about really shady, if not outright illegal stock practices. Uh, you know, they don't want to be seen as pardoning a guy who is in prison for insider trading. So yeah, Chris Collins really uh, screwed himself on that one. And this is another interesting one. This is something I had mentioned back over uh, during the campaign when uh, a bunch of people sued uh, some restaurants here in Buffalo for illegal practices regarding their tips. And now they've added the owner. So Mark Hutchinson, one of Buffalo's top restaurateurs, has been added as a defendant to a lawsuit alleging wage theft at Tempo Restaurant as its claim doubled to almost 600000 In July, five servers who worked at the shuttered fine dining restaurant sued it and manager Paul Jenkins, alleging that gratuities they earned for events were illegally withheld. The lawsuit claims that Tempo managers pocketed gratuities paid on events while paying the servers a flat hourly rate that amounted to much less. Sometimes servers were directed to lie to customers about where the money went, the suit alleged. And this should not be surprising to anybody because um, data across the board, um, the numbers always show that the amount of wage theft, which tip Tips, uh, illegal use of tips is considered a wage theft. You're taking from your workers. Uh, the amount of wage theft every year is more than all other types of theft combined. Combined. So I'm talking burglary, robbery, grand theft auto, just petty larceny. If you add all that together, wage theft happens in larger quantities every single year. Employers steal from their employees all day, every day. And this isn't, I'm not even just talking about as in, you know, like a, taking a, a Marxist view on things as uh, wages are theft and all that kind of stuff. I'm saying just literally stealing money from their workers, according to present law. Uh, and then the plaintiff's attorney here, Ian Hayes, said that Hutchison was added based on information about his involvement in the day-to-day operation of Tempo and involvement in setting pay policies. So this is definitely something to keep an eye on moving forward to see how uh, successful this suit might be. Uh, now we're going to hit some editorials. There's a lot of a lot of bad editorials, a lot of good ones, a lot of bad ones. So I'm going to go through some some not so good ones here. Uh, this is from actually last weekend, staying on Red Alert. This is written by the Buffalo News Ed Board, and the the subheader: Individuals have power to keep Western New York from drawing state shutdown order. And so this is going back to what I was saying earlier. You're putting all the responsible uh, all the responsibility on everyday people. And taking it away from those who have the power to change what we're doing and make the situation easier uh, to ensure that people can stay home safely and then go back to their jobs after the shutdown ends. Make sure the jobs do not, uh, you know, make sure these businesses do not close. It is not in our hands because you're telling us it's not on our hands. That means we have to go buy stuff. We have to go out into the world and, and expose ourselves to a virus. People are not going to take that risk largely. And so it's just so uh, disingenuous to, to say things like this. So, you know, there's one line in here, keeping our region out of the red is largely up to us. No, it's not. It's largely up to the people who can actually make a difference. If I am worried about my business 
and I stop doing it, then what was to say that the next business down the road doesn't continue with theirs? It's not up to us. We cannot individualize a worldwide pandemic. That's ludicrous. Uh, so the five-county Western New York region reported 822 new coronaviruses on Thanksgiving Day. The region's seven-day average positive test rate, 5.5% through November 25th, has more than doubled since November 1st. And this is why I, I, I highlighted this again to say there is no such thing as a Thanksgiving spike. If anything, we might actually see it slowing down right now since Thanksgiving. But they're just using that as an excuse to individualize and shame everyday people. So for all who criticize government shutdown orders because of their effects on small businesses, this is the time to walk the walk. Wear masks in public, maintain proper social distance, and resist the temptation to hold indoor social gatherings. And this is what they keep coming back to is these indoor gatherings, the living room spread. They're making it sound like we're all just partying with each other when that's very rare. Uh, most of the spread is the people are spreading it to their own family members. They're getting it in the community and maybe at their jobs. And then they're spreading it at home. That's the, that's the living room spread. It's family members to family members, people who live together. Uh, so don't let, don't let these people tell you that it's your fault. It is not your fault. It is theirs all day. Uh, and then this is an interesting one. Uh, another one from the Buffalo News editorial board. Uh, the risks of power. And I, 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 I love this because you can always read through the lines and figure out which member of the editorial board really had the heaviest hand in writing this. And this is obviously the more conservative person. So here, it's an old lesson and one New York State Democrats should keep in mind as they contemplate their expanded power. Beware what you wish for. From spending to redistricting to legislating, Democrats are fully in the crosshairs. Um, I'm not sure whose crosshairs, but you know this is this person's opinion. With the 2018 blue wave election, the only red left in state government was in Senate Republicans' ability to block a veto override. With this year's election, even that authority seems to have evaporated. And that is because the, the Democrats, by all accounts and in all results, have taken the supermajority in the Senate as well as the Assembly. Uh, so very, very interesting to see what happens now. We'll find out what the party is really made of. Continuing here. So the question now is how blue is our blue? I think it's a pretty fair question. Uh, it's fair to say that upstate Democrats, such as Senator Timothy Kennedy and the newly elected Sen Senator Sean Ryan, may occupy a more centrist place than some of her downstate colleagues. And I, I love that they pointed this out and said that because I was just on a call with Tim Kennedy the other day where he said, I'm, you can put my progressive record against anybody else in the Senate. And so it's interesting that the Buffalo editorial board is calling him a centrist. I'm not sure if he would uh, take too kindly to that. Uh, so... That should work to the region's advantage. The centrism, apparently, of Kennedy and Sean Ryan should work to this region's advantage, tempering some of the party's less helpful impulses while warding off a repeat of the 2009 disaster when Democrats briefly won control of the Senate and showered money on downstate while largely stiffing the rest of New York. So I would like to know what these less helpful impulses are. Uh, if they're just talking about showering money on downstate, um, I'm not sure that's a, a a fair thing to, to say because that was uh, 11 years ago and most of those people are not in there any longer. Um, I mean, it, you don't want to repeat history because the Democrats, uh, you know, I don't even want to give credence to this point because then after, after 2009, that, that group of, of Democrats, the IDC broke away and they caucused with the Republicans and gave the Republicans control of the Senate. So the Democrats 
have actually literally had control of the Senate all along, but these fake Democrats caucus with the Republican Party, and then they were actually Republicans you know, in all terms, except for the letter next to their name. So they didn't actually lose anything because of anything they did in 2009. Those Democrats did that on their own. And also with the blessing of Governor Cuomo. Don't ever forget that. Uh, so the more likely place for Democrats to flex their muscle, possibly unwisely, of course, unwisely for this person, is in the matter of redistricting. With their dominance of the chamber, they have it in their power to update legislative district lines, state and federal, to their liking. The result could be to solidify the party's dominance for at least a decade. So why would that be unwise, right? The only reason that would be unwise is if you are not a Democrat. You don't want them to do it. So that is pretty easy to figure out from reading this. Uh, among the losers would be Rep. Chris Jacobs from Orchard Park, who was just elected to his first full term in Congress, representing New York's most Republican congressional district. Those lines are all but guaranteed to change, potentially opening the way for more moderate Republicans or even Democrats. Again, that's normal. When you redistrict, you should be drawing them to your, your benefit. Um, Supreme Court has said that they are not going to get involved in gerrymandering disputes because it is a political question. Whether you agree with that, that Supreme Court decision or not, it doesn't matter because that's, that's the, the current uh, standing of the Supreme Court. So do it. Just do it. If you, if, uh, I'll get to that later. Uh, so, of course, this person says, but Democrats should resist gaming the very heart of democracy. Now, let's put aside the fact that back in the last redistricting process, the Senate was hugely gerrymandered to favor Republicans. And I would also point out that Chris Jacobs's district is gerrymandered to be very red. And so all of a sudden, if we take all that back, even if we go back to uh, quote unquote neutral uh, districts, that would be gaming the heart of democracy. That's ridiculous. So let's see. Honest redistricting, uh, sorry. Honest redistricting would create the opportunity for truly competitive elections in which all voters can see they have a stake and office holders are forced to heed all of their constituents. That's, that's, that's what happened right now. This is just word salad. It doesn't matter. Uh, it can also encourage better behavior by politicians. That's just childish. Uh, anybody would actually think that. So this next sentence. Would former rep Chris Collins from Clarence have been so quick to commit insider trading if he knew he would be sure to pay a price at the polls. It might have tempered his arrogance. This is just this is just worm brain stuff. I don't understand anybody in the world who would think he would be less criminal if he were worried about losing his office. What does that have to do with anything? Kelly Leffler, who is, you know, was a senator, was doing insider trading, and she's being you know, raked over the coals for that right now. We're finding out David Perdue did the same thing. And they are now in huge runoffs in, and they might lose their seats. This idea that uh, losing your, your elected position would be a reason not to commit crime. There's absolutely no, nothing to back that up. It makes no sense. So in the meantime, New York's Republicans have been cast into the political wilderness. Here's some unsolicited advice on how to reclaim power. Stop being dumb. Opposing the Child Victims Act was dumb. Claiming that the state's bail reform law is tantamount to endorsing murder is dumb. Smart would have been to acknowledge the case for reform when they had power and then working to influence its shape. Oh, well, maybe next time. Those are all great thoughts, but you know what? That's not what the Republican Party is or cares about. Those are not there. You're telling them that they oppose things they shouldn't have opposed, but they oppose them because they are Republicans. So you're asking them to change the people that they are and the things that they believe. That's, that's not, that doesn't make sense. 
the final sentence, and as for the Democrats, be wary. When things go wrong, everyone will know whom to blame. And uh, yeah, I guess they're just assuming everything's going to go wrong. Well, we actually don't know where things are going to go yet. That's, that is the biggest question. So we have super majorities in both chambers of the state legislature. What are the priorities now? What are the priorities of, this, of the Democratic Party? We'll find out what they actually believe in, what they actually wanted to get done. Um, this one I'm not going to spend too much time on. It's just, it's that Mark Thiessen guy. He's such a dumb, dumb person. Uh, and I remember back some episodes ago, I did, I read one of his pieces where he's laying out all the things he said Trump should do to, to get back into office, you know, and to run for president again in 2024. And now like, no one ever holds this, this opinion person accountable because now he's, he's, you know, Donald Trump at the time, I said he was never going to do any of those things. And lo and behold, he has done none of those things. And now Mark Thiessen is begging him not to do what he's actually doing. And it's just so funny watching this guy scramble and try to make excuses for the big, dumb, idiot president. Uh, so President Donald Trump says he is focusing 125% of his energy on changing the results of the 2020 election. He is fixating on the wrong thing. Not only is this quixotic effort destined to fail, it could very well hand de Democrats control of the Senate and with it, unchecked power to enact a socialist agenda that Trump will be hard-pressed to reverse should he win a second term in 2024. Now, there is a lot going on here. So let's start with uh, uh, hand Democrats control of the Senate because we're talking about this, um, the, the runoff in, in Georgia. Even if the Democrats win both of those, they would only have 50 seats out of 100. So they don't have control of the Senate at that point. Uh, unchecked power to enact a socialist agenda. I can guarantee you this man has no idea what the word socialist means. Uh, he's just one of those idiot right-wing talking heads. And then finally, Trump will be hard-pressed to reverse if he wins a second term in 2024. So this guy has already assumed that Trump is going to run for president again in 2024, which, you know what, I kind of hope he does because that would be just just a, dropping a nuclear warhead on the Republican Party. It would be great. So after weeks of criticizing Georgia Republicans from the sidelines, Trump finally plans to campaign in the Peach State on Saturday. And it is true. Trump has been just ruining, at least a little bit, the chances of Leffler and Purdue in their runoff elections. It's hilarious. Uh, so if he makes his appearance, a grievance session about the last election, he will do more damage than good. And come on, that's exactly what he's going to do. His message should be about the future, warning members of his loyal base that their shared legacy is at stake. If Democrats prevail, he should explain. They will reverse all of the progress he made in the past four years, including his tax reform and his judicial appointments. Um, good. Yeah. Uh, his tax reform blew a gigantic hole in the trillion dollars in, in the uh, budget. And then his judicial appointments are largely nightmares and uh, right-wing ideologues who will be on the courts for decades. And you know what? Those are lifetime appointments. So I'm not sure what the Democrats would do to turn it back. And you know what? I don't think they're going to turn back the tax reform very much either because uh, you know, Barack Obama extended George W. Bush's tax cuts when he got into office. And I, I see Biden doing largely the same here. Maybe they don't do the entire package, but they'll keep a lot of that in place. So they will pack the courts with activist judges and pack the Senate by granting statehood to the District of Columbia. So there are not many judge openings at the moment because uh, one of the things that Mitch McConnell has been really, really good at is judicial appointments. This has been flying through the Senate. So even if they were going to pack the courts, 
they would have to have the political will to do so. And that means expanding the courts and the numbers of, of judges that sit on each on each court. I have absolutely no confidence that the Democrats would be willing to do that. But those things don't matter to, to uh, right-wing opinion writers. And then again, statehood to the District of Columbia? Yeah, that's a really good idea. But have they actually said they're going to do that? No, no, there's been absolutely no indication they're interested in doing something like that. So forget it. Just forget it. Uh, so then it ends here. If Trump flexes his political muscle and leads the GOP to victory in Georgia, it could be the first step in his political restoration. Uh, I Again, can anybody reasonably see Trump doing that? Come on. And flexing political muscle? Has he ever shown a muscle to flex in the first place? Come on. No, I haven't seen one. Uh, but if he lets Democrats take back the Senate because he was focused on rooting out some mythical communist conspiracy. Oh, so you're calling it mythical. I don't think he understands what the word communist means either. Uh, mythical communist conspiracy to, st to steal the 2020 election. He will go down in ignominy and deservedly so. I got some bad news for you, Mark. He's already going to, and he already has. So uh, I can't stand the Buffalo News printing Mark Thiessen basically every other day. He's just the worst. Uh, so just a couple more pieces. This one is from our pal Chris Jacobs, current uh, representative for the 27th Congressional District. And it's titled, Congress has a duty to pass COVID relief package. Now, I can't be uh, very surprised that they published this because imagine when an elected official writes a, an opinion piece, you as the local paper record, you're going to scramble to get that printed, but it's it's just ridiculous. Um, so Congress should not leave for the holidays until they bar bipartisan relief bill is passed and signed by the president. The American people are suffering and they are counting on us to deliver in this time of need. That's a very good point. Have you talked to Mitch McConnell about that recently? Uh, the, the House of Representatives passed the HEROES Act months ago, months ago, and it has not even been brought up in the Senate for, for a single vote. So um, yeah, but he's going to blame his other party because you have to blame the the political enemies for everything. Whether it's true or not, doesn't matter. I was shocked the legislative calendar was cut short this week. Furthermore, absolutely no COVID-related legislation is on the docket. But apparently, we have time on the agenda for legal, uh, legislation pertaining to exotic animals and the legalization of recreational marijuana. So those are two very different things. The legislation pertaining to exotic animals was in response to the Tiger King show, and it was banning the private ownership of uh, you know, exotic animals. Obviously not a priority, but the legalization of recreational marijuana is an enormous priority. It should have been done decades ago. It should have never been put into place in the first place. It's a racist, classist, stupid, stupid law that has been filling our prisons and jails for since the day it was enacted. Uh, so the, act, the, the idea that it is uh, not a priority is just laughable. So this is a sign that our Democratic leadership is either completely out of touch with the needs of the people or more focused on politics than true public service. Again, I will reiterate, the HEROES Act is waiting for Senate approval. The House already passed some more COVID relief and more COVID-related legislation. So he just doesn't even care. My Republican colleagues and I have called for a targeted relief package for months. And in the interim, we have supported legislation to address specific needs. For instance, we put forth a common sense proposal to extend the Paycheck Protection Program, or PPP, which has provided critical small business loans that have been incredibly effective at keeping our small businesses afloat during the pandemic. 
and this is where the, 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 the really insidious garbage is here because he says he's called for a targeted relief package. That means people are not going to get checks again in the mail. That's like, targeted means we're going to make sure that certain portions of our economy get bailed out. That's what targeted means. And then this common sense proposal to extend the PPP, that's again, just giving money to businesses, does nothing for people. Uh, it is making sure that those people are forced to go back to their jobs though. Maybe they're sick and they want to stay home or they're worried about Corona. Uh, no, no, sorry. PPP, it requires you to go back to your job. Okay. I mean, it doesn't require you to go back, but the business then, uh, you know, they, they will, if that happens and there's unemployment insurance, they will take away your unemployment insurance because you had a job that was there for you. And the PPP has been shown to just be a complete game for rich people. Uh, the story now that just came out yesterday is that Tom Brady, a man who's worth $200 million, whose wife is worth double that, uh, his, his corporation, his company, I think it employs 50-something people. Tom Brady's company got almost $1 million from the PPP, whereas over half of the, the, the corporations or you know, small businesses, and this is through the Small Business Administration, right? Tom Brady, one of the richest people on, on, on planet Earth, uh, was able to get $100,000 while about half of the, the businesses that applied didn't get anything. But this guy is trying to say, oh, we should extend that because it worked so well the first time. So we must stop, he says, we must stop the partisan posturing and get to work for the people. This process has been stalled for months and we have run out of time. It would be irresponsible to leave for the holidays without passing bipartisan COVID relief that ensures the American people are supported. Again, talk to your party leadership because it was actually Mitch McConnell who literally said, I don't care if blue states go into bankruptcy. So Save me your crocodile tears, Chris Jacobs. Without it, many vital programs and aid are set to expire in a matter of days. The partisanship that has plagued this process needs to come to an end, and all parties need to start negotiating in good faith. And that is the, just you know, the, the final sentence. It's just the cherry on top of this just complete bullshit is him saying that he's doing anything in good faith. I'm sorry. That is just a preposterous thing to say. All right, so the, the last one here is this guy, Michael Gerson. He's um, he's a liberal, probably Democrat, um, but it's just another one of these Lucy pulling the football away from Charlie Brown things for, for the Democrats, the liberal Democrats, begging Republicans to go back to some former version of themselves that really never existed. So the title of this, Republicans Speak Up Now. It's not too late to make a patriotic stand for America. They've been printing this same article. These you know, like liberal Democrats have been printing this same opinion piece since the beginning of, I don't know, George W. Bush's presidency. This stuff is so old. It's so recycled. And it's never going to change. So jumping in, by claiming the plot against his rightful rule was successfully coordinated across several states, Trump is not merely claiming instances of election fraud. He is alleging that the American system of democratic government has failed, which implies a right to revolution. By demanding specific unlawful acts to overturn results in a fair election, the president is urging authoritarian solutions to his political problems. The coup has already occurred in his mind. Can there be any doubt he would keep power by overturning the election's illegitimate result? Can there be any question he would snuff out the democratic voice of the nation if he could? Now, on this, he's actually 100% right. Yeah, he absolutely would. 
This is the interpretive key to Trump. He is instinctually un-American. And that is where he completely loses the thread because there is nobody more American than Donald John Trump. This flamboyant, ostentatious, rich asshole who has gold on his toilet, gold on his pillars inside his gold-plated wall, super rich mansion uh, you know, overlooking Central Park. It's like, this, is, this guy is the quintessential American. And that's why so many people love him. So going back, he has no respect for the country's institutions or values. And this is where you know this is a liberal Democrat saying this because they're the only people who are just whining about values the whole time. Uh, or institutions, right? There are precious institutions. But these institutions have been shown to... Uh, these are the same institutions who said that black people were property for hundreds of years. These are the same institutions that committed genocide against the indigenous people who lived on this continent before white people got here. These are the same institutions who have uh, you know, uh, let, let the LGBTQ community die by the thousands during the AIDS pandemic. Like this, these institutions are, are, are oppressive and repressive and always have been. So the idea that we should be worried about them, uh, the poor institutions, is just, it's ahistoric. Uh, so he is ignorant of the nation's story, dismissive of its conventions, and unmoved by its romance. Again, as just a complete ahistoric notion of the country of the United States of America and what we really actually stand for. Uh, he sees politics the way a Machiavellian would in any country as the pursuit of power, not the stewardship of certain truths. Are you, are you kidding me? That is literally what politics are. They are the pursuit of power. It is the, the uh, collection and then distribution of resources. It is literally all about power. How could you say anything otherwise? It's just a, I hate to say it again, but this is worm-brained, absolutely worm-brained. So it is revealing GOP hypocrisy at its foulest. People who complain of judicial overreach seem happy with executive overreach. People who talk of law and order excuse a lawless attack on the constitutional order. People who speak of patriotism can't be bothered to speak up for the American traditions, beliefs, and institutions. Yeah, again, this is what they've been doing for decades. So if you're going to sit here and cry hypocrisy, have fun with that. You're going to waste your breath. You're going to waste your time. And you know what? You're not going to change a single thing because they do not care. You can call them hypocrites all day and it just slides right off their smooth brains because they do not care. This is They understand that politics is about power and they understand how to wield it. And they understand that you're... you're you're, you're labeling them a, hypocr a hypocrite does nothing. It absolutely does nothing. Uh, so the exceptional nature of American politics involves one vulnerability. Our democracy must recreate itself in every generation by reaffirming the ideals that created it. Our institutions depend for their survival and success on democratic values, on the constraint of power, not only by law, but by convention and conscience. This is true. And this is a really important point is that our, our, our institutions, these precious institutions that this guy's talking about, and as well as just our democracy itself, is only as strong as we tell each other it is and as we believe it is. Because the second, like right now, we have all these people in this country who believe that the uh, election was stolen from, from Trump. And that is undermining the democracy. And it, 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 we only have faith in it if we continue to tell each other that we have faith in it. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're going to have a crisis pretty, pretty badly pretty soon. By expecting such integrity in re elected Republicans, we are not asking all that much. Yeah, actually, you are, and you really need to you need to let it go. 
you need to forget it. They are not going to change who they are for you. And this is the this is the giveaway right here. This is the second to last paragraph. He says, I know and like many Republican members of Congress. And that's the problem. This guy is in Washington. He is a product of the Beltway. He is just, you know, poisoned by living there, by being in this, this you know, vacuum of, of just noxious power. And these are his friends. And he doesn't want to believe his friends could do bad things. But you know what? They're bad people, Mike. You got to get used to it. And he ends, my plea to elected Republicans, remember who you are. Remember the oath that binds you. Remember the love of country that brought you to service. In a world of chance and change, the great things are eternal, courage, judgment, honor, moral integrity, and a sense of the sacred. It is never too late to do the right thing. And I just ask him, when have they ever shown any of that? Let's take it back just to Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan. They didn't have any of this stuff. Uh, it, it's just, it's so it's so frustrating to see people who shape the narrative in our society have absolutely no idea what they're talking about. Or you know what? Maybe they do have an idea of what they're talking about, but they are just helping those in power by saying, no, we, we shouldn't have uh, big revolutions. We shouldn't have a lot of uh, primaries. You, you just These people, they can turn it around. You just got to give them another chance. They, they're there. There's a good person inside every Republican we just need to make sure they let it out. Uh, and that is just a childish way to look at the world and uh, don't fall for it. Please do not fall for it. Okay, so that's everything I have for today. Um, hope everybody has a good weekend and thank you for listening. You can rate and subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. You can follow us on Twitter at B-L-O-Z-E-R-O podcast or email at B-L-O-Z-E-R-O podcast at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, or episode ideas or you want to join in on one with me. And finally, if you like what we're doing, please go to patreon.com slash B-L-O-Z-E-R-O podcast and contribute to the show. There will be some uh, special you know, bonus content soon, so keep keep an eye out for that. So everybody have a good weekend again and talk to you soon. Bye.